So today, by God's grace, we continue with the, uh, the vanity of fleeting confidence and uh, part four. And part four is saints and sinners in eternity. Saints and sinners in eternity. Now, I know that many of us get very embarrassed to be called saints. Because <laughs> you think I can't believe I'm a saint. Our third daughter often reminds me that uh, I'm not dead yet. Don't call me a saint. Well, when you look in the Bible, the various epistles are written to the saints. So it wasn't to dead people. So we're going to share a little bit. Oh, there's some visual aid there. Okay. <clears throat> Let's pray. Loving Father, we bless you this morning once again. Lord of all, the giver and the sustainer of the word. We pray that, Lord, you help us this morning by your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen. The main scripture today would be the background is the same, is Psalm 49, because I would like us to be very acquainted, familiarized with Psalm 49, because it is very important. Building on that, we will be looking at a different scripture. Now, in Psalm 49, in Psalm 49, that scripture is addressed to all peoples. You notice that in verse 1 and 2? To all peoples. It says, all, uh, hear this, all peoples, give ear all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor, together. You see, there is no special gospel for the rich and special gospel for the poor. Many, many years ago, there was a movement that was called Full Gospel. And uh, it was said that it was for rich business people, businessmen, important people who cannot attend the church. So they will uh, meet in big restaurant, big hotel, and uh, they can talk between them. <laughs> because it's easier for them to get the message across. Hmm. I don't know what is left of that movement now. Therefore, people will despise the church and will be going there, share a few verses, 
and then have big meal, etc. I think God shows no partiality. The gospel is the same for everybody. A few years ago, I heard about people being fed up with attending the church because the church had so many hypocrites. There were so many problems in the church. Therefore, it was uh, prudent to stay at home because God is everywhere. But the Bible says, do not forsake assembling, the assembling together. It may seem a good idea, but it's not the word of God. You see, the biggest problem is people thinking their own ideas and then pushing those ideas in the church. That's the problem. And you will see, I will show you some illustration. And you will see the danger of following people's idea rather than the Bible. You see, most of the conflict and the bookish and head knowledge you see, it's not because people read the Bible. It's because they see the Bible through the hero's lenses. I told you, it was about maybe two years ago, I was teaching from this same place, and I said a few things about... Uh, I think it was John Piper, I think it was, with his uh, Christian hedonism. I've never been in trouble like that since I've been preaching the word of God. Never. I gave evidence. I quoted him. I gave evidence. But people came to me and said, oh, I don't know that he's ever said that. You see, to try to justify because John Piper cannot get things wrong. Because he's got millions of followers. Who are you, gay, from Republic Democratic of Congo? Look at you. Who are you? John MacArthur has said the gift of the Holy Spirit have ceased. Gay, who are you? He's written a Bible. Grace Church. Who are you? I'm a gay. I'm reminding you only. But I don't see those things in the Bible. As simple as that. You see, that's the problem. The biggest problem. Everyone with his own ideas. God has given ministries for the equipping of the saints and the edification of the church. However, those who are being equipped and edified also have a duty to scrutinize, to check out whether the things we are teaching are so. Well, 
I've heard a lot about the Berean. Everybody calling himself Bereans, etc. But that passage in Acts 17, 11 is often misquoted or only quoted in parts to choose what suits us when we want to dispute everything. It doesn't just say that they examine things. No. It starts with the state of the heart. They were more fair-minded than the Thessalonians and they received the word with readiness. So there is a certain attitude first before getting into dispute. First of all, the heart must be ready to receive. Open to re- If the heart is already closed, then what is left is what we call apologetics, in particular young people. Paul told Timothy to avoid empty disputes. That's not apologetics. No. Apologetics is giving a reason for the hope that is in you. And that needs to be done with trembling and meekness and gentleness. That's apologetics. Apologetics doesn't mean furnishing your head with so many things in order to win an argument. That's not apologetics at all. We've been reading Job, and uh, in the book of Job, chapter 3, verse 14, again, we have this reminder that kings and counselors, princes, stillborn child, small and great, all of them will one day die. You see, people think things will just continue the way they are with the same owner, with the same big network and influence in the world. No. It says the wicked shall cease troubling one day. Every human being will stand before God to give an account. The vanity of fleeting confidence. Now, I don't think I'm going to finish this message, but don't worry. We have that deck. We have that, the full document there. So just give your name to Lisa if you want the full document, because I won't finish it today. Seven, um, eight, ten, (laughs) ten. We won't finish that. So whatever we can achieve by God's grace, just give your name to Lisa and we will email it to you. The whole document. Now, saints and sinners in eternity, flesh and blood do not inherit the kingdom of God. The reason I've put that subtitle there because it is problematic as well. Cause a lot of trouble, a lot of unnecessary controversies. You know the Jehovah Witnesses. They say Christ was raised 
spiritually. It was only a spiritual body. And uh, many Christians also give strength to that. And say, our spiritual body is what will go to heaven. Etc. Question. Will sinners be punished eternally? Remember what I told you in the introduction? That this was a slightly a bit of, you know, apologetics a little bit and with some uh, unusual expressions. I don't like them and I won't give those expressions to show off because I don't know them. I don't even know how to pronounce them. But the reason I will be showing you those expressions is because I want to show you the danger of men working to confuse the people of God with their own devices. And they're quite happy with those. I'm telling you, if I give you a list of some, some of the expressions so-called scholars have put forward, it's so discouraging you will feel you've never been a Christian. They have big expression. When you, you read that, you think, oh, I'm not fit for reading the Bible. This is so huge. Why would God do that? Paul commanded himself to the learned and to the ignorant, to everybody. Why? Because the Holy Spirit teaches us everything. But you can, you can come with your theory, however big and popular and academic they might be, you can talk about the definition of the Holy Spirit. If you don't have him, it means nothing. It's multiplied by zero. Because you don't have him, you don't know him, we know him, he abides in us. He came to live in us when we received Jesus Christ. He distributes his gifts to us. He reveals us faith. He teaches us scripture. He teaches us to love Jesus more. We should not be intimidated by that. No. Second slide, please, Paula. Question. Will sinners be punished eternally? If the answer to this question is no, then how can we be sure, sorry there's a typo there, how can we be sure that we are saved and that we have eternal life? And why should it be eternal anyway if the punishment is not eternal? Why should salvation be eternal? People supporting the doctrine of temporary punishment believe that the sinner is annihilated at physical death and there is no resurrection. Now, it can be very complex because they have a lot of variances between them. They, they believe different things, and this one comes with his own theory, this one comes with a sub-theory. It's very complicated. But the underlying infrastructure of that 
is psychology. For some others, the dead sinner will be raised and judged at the great white throne, cast into the lake of fire, burned up, consumed, that is, annihilated. They support the idea of conditional immortality. That is, there is no continuous existence of the soul except for the believers in Christ. Hmm. So, they teach that the idea the only Christians, only those who believe in Christ will be subject to immortality. And that is called conditional immortality. In other words, the rule, the normality is mortality. Everybody will die except those who believe in Christ. Now, I'm sorry if I'm quoting some of your heroes. Sometimes that can happen. Um, Martin Luther taught that. Oh, that's in German. In Germany. We don't care. That's in Germany. William Tyndale taught that. Oh. John Calvin taught that. And they come up with a concept called Christian mortalism. I can see. Oh, William Tyndale, who are you? No, I'm just quoting. He's in the books. He's in the books. He died for Christ. Martin Luther brought revolution, reformation, great Christian, and we owe them that much. But that doesn't mean we cannot evaluate what was said and written. Next slide. Yes, that's the one. Christian conditionalism. You can see already the problem. Look at that expression. And books after books after books have been written and controversies and academic papers because of this. Everyone look in the Bible. Oh, the soul that sin will perish. Mortalism. That one looks. Christian conditionalism has been taught by several theologians throughout history, including figures such as Martin Luther. Christian mortalism is the belief that the human soul is not naturally immortal. Mm. And the idea that the soul is sleeping after death until resurrection of the dead and the last judgment. Mm. So it's called soul sleeping. So the soul is just sleeping somewhere. Um, 
inactive until resurrection. In the story given by our master, the Lord, regarding the wicked rich and Lazarus, it doesn't seem to me that the soul is sleeping. Because that's not a parable. That's a story, true story. It seems that the wicked rich is really conscious. It's, uh, you know, it's burning with uh, thirst. And uh, he's even remembering, <laughs> remembering, remembering. You know, go and speak to my father. And Abraham say, remember. It doesn't seem that he's sleeping. The soul is sleeping. What about Revelation 7? What, what did the apostle saw in heaven? Under the altar, he saw the souls that were coming out of the great tribulation. The souls coming out of the great tribulation. People were being killed and instantly the souls were where? Under the altar of God. To provoke the final anger of God. That where the souls were kept. Under the altar in heaven. Well, I'm sorry, but I'm nothing. I'm just telling you what is in the Bible. These are big people, big heads, PhDs, but confusing the church. Simple things. You see, God and the Bible are simple for those who want to be simple. If you want to be complicated, well, God will be super complicated. We come with things like, you know, uh, a little while you will see me, afterward you won't see me, etc. those complicated stuff. But if you receive receive them by faith, they become easier by the Holy Spirit. I'm sure you've already seen those very complicated words there. Christian mortalists take two main forms that support soul sleeping. Mm. Netopsychism. Psychopanicism. Psychosomnolence. Somnolence en français. Somnolence. Sleeping. That's the idea. Soul sleeping. That's what it is. That's why I was telling you that all these things, the underlying factor that gives strength to these things is psychology. Psychology, for me, is the number one danger today. It used to be philosophy before, when Paul was writing to the Colossians. In fact, uh, Socrates died disputing about immortality. It's a big thing. There was a competition with the biblical teaching, but nowadays here, psychology is the greatest danger. Well, we need to have a degree in psychology in order to be able to counsel in the church. Otherwise, we're not qualified. Peter, Paul, James, they were not qualified, did not have a degree in psychology. Problems everywhere. Can you see that? Now, in order to accommodate that, we give it a nice package. Christian mortalism. And we throw in the church. Boom. Chaos. Psychopanicism is the doctrine that soul falls asleep at death. And does not wake until the resurrection of the body. I don't even know the difference between the two. I don't know the difference between the two. But this one has its proponents. This one has its, uh, its supporters. This one. 
Neto-psychism, the doctrine that the soul dies with the body and that both are to be called back to life at the day of judgment. Now the Bible. Now let's test that with the Bible. In the Old Testament, you have this word here. Olam. Olam. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting. The Hebrew word is olam. Olam. Everlasting life, some to shame, and everlasting contempt, olam. That's the word. But what does the word mean now? Olam means vanishing point, time out of mind, past or future, lasting, long time, perpetual, forever, always, continuous existence, everlasting, indefinite, indefinite, or an ending future, ultimately, eternity. That's the word that was used. Now, Daniel is saying, Some will awake unto everlasting life and some unto everlasting contempt. Notice everlasting. So where did this idea, idea of temporary punishment come from? Wow, they are big, big brain. We have to trust them. They are big brain. You see, the contempt, the last word there, contempt. I was in Congo in 2020. And a lady came to me and she said, Oh, what do you think about this? We're just coming from the church. And the pastor was explaining that passage. And the pastor said, Oh, you see, everybody will go in heaven, but there will be a seat in heaven for eternity, to shame those who are not faithful to Christ. La chaise de la honte. Oh. Everybody will go to heaven and there will be a specific place for those who did not fully obey God and they will be sitting there being shamed for eternity. Everybody just doing their own thing and saying their own things. Now the New Testament. Remember, Olam. In the New Testament, Eoinios, that is a Greek word, used in Matthew 25. Matthew 25, verse 41 and 46. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting. The Greek word, because the New Testament was firstly written in Greek. The Greek word used is Ionios. Fire. Everlasting fire. Prepare for the devil and his angel. Verse 46. And these will go away into 
Aionios. Punishment. Everlasting punishment. But the righteous into eternal life. Now, who should we trust? Our gurus or the Bible? Romans 16 verse 26 but now made manifest by the prophetic scripture scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the Ionios everlasting God see it's used for God because God is everlasting and eternal for obedience to the faith Revelation 14 verse 6 then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the Ionios gospel, everlasting gospel, to preach to those who dwell on the earth. There you are. The idea of uh, a temporary punishment, purgatory, waiting between good and bad, all those ideas, reincarnation, all those things are demonically inspired. False hope. And what will lead people to hell is not mostly atheism, is religion. Religion. Saints and sinners in eternity and with which body? The question has always puzzled even the believers. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35, there is this question. But some will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? It's a legitimate question that has puzzled even the believers. One of the main difficulties is to understand the various expressions in the Bible that the Bible uses in relation to resurrection of the bodies. Those expressions are not necessarily interchangeable or synonymous. Now, incorruption is not the same as immortality. Or even eternal life. They are different expressions. What do you think should happen? The Bible speaks of eternal fire day and night forever. If people are going to burn like that, what do you think should happen to their body? Because if you from me, let's say our Christian heroes, uh, Latimer, uh, um, Tyndale, they were burned. And they died. And they were burned. If you throw my body or your body in fire, it will be consumed. It will go. But how come in that kind of fire it won't be consumed? That means something must first happen to the body in order for it to be prepared to be punished eternally. So, the incorruptibility Paul is talking about here, yes, Paul is talking to the believers, to us, 
But there is another form of incorruptibility as well. A divine operation that will also be done to the sinners so that they will not burn forever. They will not be consumed or eliminated. They will suffer day and night, the Bible says. And the smoke of the torment ascends day and night. Something needs to happen to their body as well. At the last judgment. So there is a form of incorruptibility as well that will be done on their body as well as to us in order to be ready for the new Jerusalem. Saints, I've put in brackets, sinners repented to give you some comfort. Because uh, you may feel uncomfortable to be called a saint, <laughs> but you are one. According to the Bible, those who belong to Christ are saints. All sinners repented. The transformation will occur as explained in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35 to 58. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Remember, We've been quoting all the time from Romans chapter 8 verse 9 I think it is. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ he's not his. However pleasant we want to look. However convincing and loving and kind we want to be. Without the spirit of Christ we are not his. Only those who have the spirit of Christ will be resurrected. Will rise again. Because the spirit that was in Christ, which is also in you, is that spirit that will bring you back. Dear brethren, make sure that you are saved. (laughs) Make sure that you are saved. told the children that God knows no grandchildren. I've told them yesterday that I've told you everything you need to know about salvation. For how long? For three hours yesterday. I told them these things. If you decide to depart from God, your blood is not on me. It's your responsibility. Three hours teaching them these things. You are responsible if you forsake God. Don't say my dad never told me. And I'm telling the church. Praise the Lord for those who are saved. Warning to those who are sitting on the fence playing with fire. Serving the Lord is the work that has been prepared beforehand 
for those who have been saved by God. So if I'm saving the Lord without being saved, multiply by zero. Saints receive eternal, eternal life by accepting the free gift of salvation obtained by, gra- by grace through faith and repentance from sin on the sole merit of the precious blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That speaks of rapture. Some of us, we taste death. Some won't. If Christ comes now, hopefully we all go. But we will all be changed. In order to be made fit, prepared, ready to enter the new Jerusalem. The new integrated reality of heaven and earth. In order to enter there, you must be born again. If anyone is in Christ, is a new creation. Because God will create a new heaven and a new earth. Only the born again, those who have been created in Christ, will enter there. The Bible says you must be born again. Christ told Nicodemus, John 3, 3, unless you were born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You cannot see, not even enter, see. We're talking about serious stuff here. Sinners and repentance. Now, for the believers, for the saints, the transformation occurs, the change occurs in a twinkling of an eye, boom, change, all done. Incorruption, immortality, the bodies change, made ready, and we've gone. But for the unbeliever, the sinner, the process is just described a summary in Revelation 14. No, 20, 13 to 14. Because by that time, suicide won't save anybody. Murder, sinking, dying, sickness, all will bring back the dead people. Passing before the judgment, the last judgment, that is where they are prepared and made ready for the second death. Now, in order to please people and to make people feel good, they, it doesn't matter, you know, you, you, know, you will spend a bit of time there, and uh, depending on the gravity of your offenses, you know, it can be a week. You know, even if it was a week, that kind of fire, even if it was a week, I wouldn't want that. But you know the uh, furnace where Daniel's companion were thrown? People could not even approach there. But that's probably a toy compared to the Gehenna. I wouldn't want even a second, let alone a millennium. 
You see, and people are quite happy. It doesn't matter. You know, I can disobey God. I can live in rebellion. It doesn't matter. You know, you, God is good. God is merciful. You know, you will purge a little bit and then you will go. That's not what the Bible says. Knowing the terror of God, we persuade men. If I'm talking about myself, tell me I'm talking about myself. I'm telling you what is written in the Bible in order for you to be edified and to take things more seriously today than yesterday, even more tomorrow. All of us singing by the same hymn sheets. Christianity has been trampled down now. We have all sorts of fantasy, and people are quite happy with that. How many people read the Bible? It's a, the Bible. People are on YouTube with their favorite hero. Whatever they say, they go unchecked. We shall not, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. The sinner's body and soul will also be made ready for the lake of fire. Now, the inescapable reality. All will be changed to be made fit for eternity. I've said that already. Either with God or without him. By removing the corruptible dimension of our being. That will be removed. Either for sinners or the saints. That will be removed. In order to face eternity. Flesh and blood. Finally. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Therefore, people conclude, it must be the spiritual body that goes there. Because of this verse. They say, if flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, therefore, the logical implication is that is the spiritual body that will go false. Totally false. Why am I saying that? We will have the same body Jesus Christ had when he rose again. And when he entered the room, closed doors, the disciples thought they were seeing a ghost. He said, no, ghosts have no bones. No, spirit have no bones. No flesh. No, it's me. Give me food. Touch me. That's the body we're talking about. It's not a spirit. It's a glorified body. Your body you're having now. When you rise, Christ transforms, gives immortality, removes the corruptibility. Corruptibility, yes, the corruption element. If you stand now and you bang in the wall there, trust me, we call the ambulance for you. But Christ was able to go through. That's the body we're talking about. It's not a spiritual body. It is a glorified body. Flesh, flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. A lot of, I don't know how to call that. They may be wise. Okay, I think I'm going to stop here. You're going to have, if you want, one, two, three, you're going to have. Let me do my final reading only. Uh, moving to the last. And reading from... 1 Corinthians 15, I want to read this as an encouragement for you and by way of conclusion, as an encouragement for you. 1 Corinthians 15, 
Let's read from verse 52. In a moment, no, from verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. And the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. God bless you. Amen.